springing forth the moment he spoke. No sooner said than done. With his breath, he scatters the schemes of nations who oppose him. They will never succeed. His destiny plan for the earth stands sure. His forever plan remains in place and will never fail. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whosoever believes will not perish, they shall Shall
blessed and prosperous is that nation who has God as their Lord. They will be the people he has chosen for his own. The Lord looks over us from where he rules in heaven, gazing into every heart from his lofty dwelling place. He observes all the peoples of the earth. The creator of our hearts considers and examines everything we do.
even if a king has the best equipped army, it would never be enough to save him. Even if the best warrior went to battle, he could not be saved simply by his strength alone. Human strength and the weapons of man are false hopes for victory. They may seem mighty, but they will always disappoint. The eyes of the Lord are upon even the weakest worshipers who love him. Those who wait in hope and expectation for the strong, steady love of God. God will deliver them from death, even the certain death of famine with no one to help. The Lord alone is our radiant hope, and we trust in him with all our hearts. His wraparound presence will strengthen us as we trust We rejoice with an uncontained joy flowing from Yahweh. Let your love and steadfast kindness, O God, overshadow us continually, for we trust and we wait upon you. Let's sing together.
you. You may be seated. Bible, we're going to be in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke this morning as we start to visit together for a few weeks about the topic of of prayer. Just a late word of welcome to those that have joined us on the live stream. We apologize for the, uh, the technical difficulties, but we were glad that we were able to overcome them. And just to let you know, if you ever um, experience those difficulties in the future, um, there are warm comfortable seats that are responsibly socially distanced available. And so you are welcome at any time to join us. Um, We would love to see you. It would be an encouragement to you and probably an encouragement to others um, as well. And so thank you for joining us if you're tuning in. It would be good to see you at some point. I've been thinking for for some time about, you know, areas in my life that I probably need to to increase um, my knowledge in and to to grow deeper in. And one of those areas, of course, um, came up to be prayer. And I know when some of us hear that word, um, it's, it's like the P word um, in, in church that goes along with the E word, which is evangelism. And those are two things that people just really kind of freak out when we say we're going to pray. Oh, don't ask me to pray out loud. And well, I don't want to pray because, you know, going to a prayer meeting is, is boring. But I want us to, to understand that, that prayer is vital. It's our communication between God the Father and, and ourselves, and it's a very important part of our lives. But if you're like me, you would still probably consider yourself um, a novice in that area, not an expert. And it, it reminds me of, of two, two gentlemen that were having a discussion over morning breakfast. Um, neither one of them, admittedly, was a Bible scholar, um, but they were talking about the Lord's Prayer. And the one man said to the other man, you know, I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And he said, yeah, I, I bet I do. And the guy said, well, I bet you $10 you can't say it. And so the guy pulled $10 out of his wallet and laid it on the table. And the other man across the table just started out and said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And the guy looked at him, shook his head, and man, you did know it. And paid him the $10. And so I know a lot of us could probably grow deeper in the area of prayer, but hopefully we can recognize the Lord's Prayer from the bedtime prayer. And we're going to begin looking at it from the perspective of Jesus. What did Jesus say about prayer? What did Jesus teach about prayer? And this morning we're going to find ourselves looking at what Jesus tells the disciples in response to a question from one of the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's simply the premise for our study during the next few weeks. Lord, we're going to ask you to teach us to pray. So in preparation to hear from God, let's invite his presence to speak to us and to teach us from his word by his spirit. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray this morning that you would teach us. We are the students. You are the teacher. You are everything. And you have everything that we need and we're nothing apart from you. And so, God, we need you to speak to us this morning. So God, we ask as we open up your word, as we read it together, that you would speak to us. Teach us what we do need to know. Help us to apply it to our lives and help us to not just hear it and say that was a good word, but help us to apply it and to do it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 1, we read these words. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. 
I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Lord, teach us to pray. We don't have a bulletin this morning, but this um, passage is outlined around five simple points. And the first one is that Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them to pray. Now, we just read the verse that Jesus is there praying in a certain place. And one of the disciples says, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. And we know these disciples, the twelve, they, they traveled along with Jesus. They saw what Jesus did. They heard the things Jesus said, and they followed him. They modeled his behavior. That was the relationship between a master and a teacher. And, you know, they had to have observed Jesus praying. They had to have seen Jesus get up and early in the morning to pray. They had to have known that Jesus prayed through the night, and that often he would withdraw to go away from the crowd by himself to pray. And they would have seen that prayer was Jesus' lifeline connection to the Father. And in his life, the more difficult the situation, the more weighty the challenge, the more intensely Jesus would pray. He would seek after the will of the Father. And those disciples pretty quickly realized that there was a big difference between the prayer life of Jesus and their prayer life. And I think I would admit the same, that there is a huge difference between the prayer life of Jesus and my prayer life. That Jesus was never thwarted by busyness or by a bad attitude. He never woke up with, you know, I just don't really feel like praying today. He had communication and fellowship with his father on a regular basis. And when he prayed, his prayers were God-inspired. They were according to his will. They were powerful. They were effective. But the disciples, and likely you and and I, when, when we pray, our prayers many times are You know, we struggle to focus even for just a couple of minutes. We're challenged by the busyness. Oh, I just don't have time or I'll get to that later. And sometimes when we pray, we feel like we're just offering these weak, powerless prayers. And we don't really feel like they even rise above the ceiling of the room we're in. And we leave those times after we say, amen, wondering, did God even hear or is he going to answer? And on a consistent basis, we we lack that deep fellowship with the Father. And out of this difference, this contrast between this is Jesus and this is us, one disciple says, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. And I would argue that there's probably, there's no better way to learn than to look at the way Jesus prayed. Andrew Murray, great man of faith who wrote much on prayer, said that Jesus teaches us to pray not only by example, by instruction, by command, by promise, but by showing us himself, the ever-living intercessor as our life. And you see, when we look at prayer, it's a relationship. It's two-way conversation with God. It's listening to God and responding to God. It's speaking to God and allowing him to speak to us. I wrote this down, and I really think it's, it's this. It's communication with expectation. That when you and I visit with God, we we spend time with Him, we expect God to speak to us and we expect God to act. It's not like talking to a brick wall or talking to, to an inanimate object. It's talking in a live relationship. But it's not this empty ritual, we do it because we're supposed to. It's not this duty of, of legalism. No, it's, it's a time when you and I get to commune, to fellowship with The God who made heaven and earth, our heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. And as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, hopefully we'll grow in our our prayer. And as we grow in our prayer time, hopefully we'll grow in our relationship with Jesus. And so out of this question that the disciple raises, 
Jesus starts to teach. And so the second thing really in, in verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4 is that Jesus gives the disciples a model to follow. This is a version of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, the model prayer. You can see it also in, in Matthew in a little bit lengthier form. But notice that Jesus says in the first part of verse 2, when you pray. So Jesus is making an assumption that these disciples are already men that pray. It would have been a very important part of their Jewish upbringing to be men of prayer. And so Jesus assumes they're going to pray and then offers them some instruction. First, he gives them a model to follow, and then he gives them some attitudes that they should have. And he gives them the very starting place, and that's to focus your attention on who God is. Notice he begins, Father, hallowed be your name. To focus on the holiness, the pureness, the perfection of God. Everything God does is perfect. He's above everything. He's God alone. He's the great I am. He's the perfect Father. And God never makes mistakes. God never arrives late. God always does what He intends, even if we don't understand it and even if we don't like it. He rules over the heavens and the earth. He keeps watch over all of creation, from the birds of the field to you and I. Even those annoying birds that I once thought were lovely, the robins that are, have invaded our area, that the Lord watches over them. He's a good father. He knows what we need, when we need it, and he watches over us and he gives us good gifts. And so we focus on who God is and, a, and we also focus on what God's word says about who God is. It's a great principle. God's word should guide us when we pray because it gives us insight it teaches us about God's character, about his attributes, how God's acted toward others in the past and how he'll act toward us today. And there's story after story on every page of God's faithfulness that if we call out to him, he will answer and he'll respond. And when we focus our attention on God, on who he is, then it helps us to fuel our praise when we see that God is holy and the things God has done in the past, it builds up in us a, a desire to praise Him for all of those things. It helps us to strengthen our faith. And we realize that God is ultimately worthy and that we are needy. That God's up here and that we're down here and He has everything that we need. And why would we not come before the one who has everything to ask for what we need? And out of that realization that this is the God who created the universe and he's chosen to have a relationship with me through the Lord Jesus that I can communicate with him at any time, the natural response is to yield ourselves to God. Say, God, you are everything. I'm nothing and you have what I need and I'm coming to you. And so the next phrase Jesus says is, your kingdom come. That we respond to God with with praise, We acknowledge with awe and wonder who He is. And then that leads us to humble ourselves to Him to realize His plan is what matters. It's not our selfish, petty kingdoms that we try to build on a regular basis. And we all do it. We build our own little kingdom out of selfishness, out of, out of pride, out of fear, and out of other emotions. And God eventually shows us that that amounts to nothing. But we see that God's kingdom is a kingdom that's unshakable, that it will never end and that it always prevails. And when we pray, God, your kingdom come, we're saying, God, we're laying our self down and we're exalting you. We're submitting to your kingdom purpose. We're choosing his plans and his purposes over our own. And we're saying, God, lead us. Lead us by your spirit. Because here's what happens. If we don't begin our prayer conversation with who God is and we start talking, then what happens is our selfishness, our self-serving hearts take over and what we offer to God really are self-serving, me-first prayers. And those are the gimme, 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 help me, help me, help me prayers. 
But you notice Jesus doesn't pray those prayers. When Jesus prayed in the garden at the moment of the intenseness of what was coming before him, of going to the cross to be the the sin bearer for all the world, Jesus cries out to God, you know, let this cup pass from me. But then he says, not my will, but yours be done. In our daily prayers, as challenging as it is, we should say, God, not our will, but your will be done. God, it's not, you know, help us to see it's not about our comfort. It's not about our selves, but it's about you and your kingdom. But after Jesus teaches them to acknowledge who God is and yield to him, he moves on to making requests. And there's two really main areas of request. One is resources, and that's represented by bread. And the other is relationships, and that's related to the idea of forgiveness that he mentions. Notice verse 3. He says, give us each day our daily bread. And that bread represents those day-to-day needs, those things that we would consider necessities. In the days of Jesus and before that, you know, they relied heavily on grain crops that they would harvest, ground into flour, and make bread. And bread was a staple food. If you're a bread lover, you would have loved to live during that time. If you're not a bread lover or if you're keto or gluten-free, you know, you'd have to just eat vegetables. But it was a bread lover's paradise in that day. And God provided that bread, that grain for his people. Contrast that to these days. If you've been to the store, you notice the bread aisles are are noticeably barren because everybody um, buys bread. Um, Some people probably have not ever, have not finished a loaf in the last um, 12 months. But because there's a storm coming, they need a loaf of bread. And they need an extra loaf of bread. And folks that need bread are having a difficult time. But God promises to provide that bread to provide what we need and asks us to simply depend on Him. And He asks us to do it with thankfulness for what He's provided. And we show that thankfulness by gratitude toward Him, but also by wise stewardship of what He's given us and then the willingness to share it generously. The stories are out there. There's so many in our church family. They're all over the Internet and the newspapers of just generosity during this time. People opening up their homes, people giving of what they had. You know, I'm not going to sell firewood. I'm going to give free firewood. Here's water you can get. Here's food you can get. Several of the HEB stores um, and different Kroger stores and places, when the power went out, there were people in there with baskets of groceries. And you, you can read news stories about managers and workers just telling the people to take what they have in their buggy and go. That's unheard of, you know. And, and so just generosity. And that's how we give thanks. We say, God, everything is from you. And when we display generosity, we acknowledge that, and it's a way of giving praise and worship. And it shows that we trust God alone to meet our needs. And don't you know that he can, He's concerned about the things that concern us? He's concerned about you not being able to find your house keys. He's concerned about you paying your electric bill. He's concerned about the water leak under your house. He's concerned about your travel schedule. He's concerned about your your work. He's concerned about the the challenges and the circumstances in your life. He, He cares about those things. He cares about our family and our friends. He cares about our desire to serve Him and our desire to minister to Him. And so when we ask God to give us our daily bread, it's more than just food on the table. It's God... Give me the resources I need physically and spiritually to make it through this day to glorify you and to serve you and to honor you. But then he moves from those resources to relationships. First part of verse 4, Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I think the ability to forgive is probably the key of any relationship. Because regardless of who you are, no matter how sweet, perfect, wonderful your temperament may be, there's going to be a time when you're going to hack somebody off. Or there's going to be a time when somebody hacks you off. You can live with people for for years. You can be married. But there's going to be times when you're going to blow it and you're going to get upset. Or they're going to blow it and they're going to be upset. And there's going to be time when you're going to have to extend forgiveness. And so it's key. 
But to be able to forgive other people, we have to first understand the forgiveness that God offers us in His Son, Jesus. See, the basis to forgive other people is to realize that we have been forgiven. And so when we pray, Jesus says, forgive us our sins. It's a reminder that we need to spend time in confession and repentance. As God brings those things to our mind, either it's something in your head that won't let go, or it's that uneasy feeling in your stomach where you know there's been a wrong, that you say, God, forgive me. God, I re- repent. And that we enjoy that blessing and that benefit of forgiveness. Psalm 32, verse 1, tells us just beautifully what it's like to receive that forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That there's a blessing in that because it clears the air in the relationship between you and God. It relieves from you that burden of guilt and it gives you the ability to forgive others. Because the directive that Jesus gives here is that we should forgive others. Because unforgiveness and bitterness are unbiblical, unchristian, and debilitating. It will hinder your prayer life. It will cripple your effectiveness in trying to serve the Lord. It will sour your attitude, and it can even lead to physical ailments. Forgiveness is worse than any disease because untreated it will literally eat you alive from the inside out. But forgiveness offers freedom. There's hope in forgiveness that God willingly provides that frees us up to love other people, that frees us up to receive the healing we need, and frees us up to minister in the name of Jesus. And I wonder... What power could be released in Christians if they would simply be obedient to the Lord, experience the forgiveness He provides, and then forgive those around them? What would God do in 2021 if there were a revival of forgiveness among His people? I'm not talking about the Democrats and the Republicans or the you know, the rich and the poor. I'm talking about in the church. What would God do if there were a revival of forgiveness? I think we would see great things that we would not even begin to, to imagine what God would do. And then Jesus closes out this brief model of prayer in the second part of verse 4 with, Lead us not into temptation. Matthew adds in his account to deliver us from evil or even the evil one. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message says, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. And I like that. It's an admission of our weakness. It's an admission of our sinfulness. It's in every human heart. Robert Robinson, the hymn writer, who wrote, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You may remember these lines. You may already be thinking about them. But in that, in one of the stanzas, he records about our own hearts, his own heart, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That apart from God, we're every one of us is that little kid on the field trip that if you don't watch him, is going to wander away from the group. He's going to walk away from what is the safety and the protection. But yet we depend daily on God to keep us close. We depend on what Jesus said in John, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to abide. We need to draw close to him to be connected to the vine. If we begin to realize the desperateness of our need to depend on on Jesus, we will spend more time with Him. We'll spend more prayer with Him. We'll trust in Him to keep us safe from ourselves and from the devil. Because here's the truth. Temptations come. And the devil is real. And he's active. And so every day, we have to put on the armor. We have to put on Christ. And in the power of the Spirit, we have to stand firm in prayer. 
don't know about y'all, but a lot of days I blow it before I even walk out the front door. Because I haven't taken that first step toward God and say, Lord, I need your help today. And then throughout the day, it's just keeping on stepping toward him, saying, Lord, I need your help in this situation. God, I need your help with this. Because there's a battle that's going on around us at every moment. But we can take a stand in Jesus' name. We can use the spiritual weapons he's provided to fight the spiritual battles. Ian Bounds has written volumes about the subject of prayer. He lived during the time of the Civil War. And listen to what he says. When prayer fails, the world prevails. Prayer is our most formidable weapon, but the one in which we are, but the one in which we are the least skilled and most averse to use. It's the most powerful weapon we have available, but it's the one that we know the least about and how to use, and it's the one that we're least likely to pull out of the toolkit. And if you're like me, you pull out ingenuity or knowledge or even worry to try to figure out problems instead of prayer. But if we want to see God tear down strongholds, set people free, captives free, bring about deliverance and healing in our lives and in our community, we have to pray. We have to pray. And so in this necessity of prayer, Jesus moves from the model to show us the attitude that we must have in our prayers. In verses 5 through 8, Jesus challenges the disciples to be bold and persistent in their petitions. And he tells a story. It's a midnight request. A neighbor going to a friend asking to borrow bread. So I want you to imagine this for just a moment. It's midnight at your address. You're comfortably sleeping and all of a sudden you hear the doorbell ring or you hear a a knock on the door and it's your neighbor. Hey, you know, I'm sorry to bother you, but had some friends come in and you know, we're a little low on bread and we need some bread. Um could you imagine what you would feel like? You're probably waking the sleep out. You're, you know, you're wiping the sleep out of your eyes. You're thinking, what in the world is this not doing? You probably have enough tact to not say that you know, um, out loud unless you're really annoyed. But in verse 7, listen to the response from the, the neighbor. Don't bother me. The door is shut and my children are, with in, are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But I want you to notice something. The friend is desperate. He needs what? He needs bread for his company because it was customary to provide food, and he's out. And the homeowner, he might have been frustrated. He might have been upset. We don't know. But he gives the friend what he asked for. And why? Why does the friend get what he asked for? It's because of, verse 8, his persistence. Now, depending on your translation, you will have words, impudence if you have the ESV, Um, Shamelessness is a literal translation. You have that in the New American Standard. Some translations would pronounce it uh, persistence, or some would boldness. Even some would add the qualifier shameless boldness. But that word literally has the idea of shamelessness, coming before someone with a request without pretense. And I want you to have the picture in your mind of a child going to their parent and asking for something. You've all seen it. You've all experienced it, child or you know, grandchild, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Well, you just say, I know, but I'm hungry. You know, they come before you with a a shameless boldness. There is no pretense. There is a persistence because they have a need and they're counting on you to meet that need. That's the picture we need to have in mind here. And Jesus is going to make that even more clear when he starts to talk about what a good father we have. It's that shameless boldness that we need to persist and to have faith when we pray. This this is not at all trying to shine a light on the fact that God is reluctant to provide and that we have to beat the door down and beg God to give us what we need. Because he says, you know, if a tired, annoyed neighbor at midnight is going to honor the request of this persistent friend, how much more... Will God, our Heavenly Father, 
meet the needs of his children. Philip Brooks, another gentleman who wrote much about prayer, says this, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his highest willingness. Because there's going to be times in your life when you're praying for something. Or you may be praying for something right now and you haven't received what you're asking for. You haven't received an answer. And the temptation, the frustration, is to stop asking, to give up, and to move on. But Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us that when we pray, we should be bold in our prayers, ask largely. There's no problem in asking when we ask with the right motives. Don't don't be ashamed to ask. And then to be persistent, to keep asking, to show our faith and our trust in God by continually bringing that request for Him. And when you get to verses 9 and 10, that continues this idea of persistence because Jesus encourages His disciples to ask, seek, and knock. Verse 9, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, Jesus is not teaching that we have to somehow get God's attention or convince Him to act. He doesn't want us to believe that God is unwilling. No, God is pleased to answer prayers that are in line with His will. However, God doesn't simply give us a blank check for whatever we want. I'm asking and seeking and knocking for, you know, a, a brand new 4x4 F-250. You know, I'm asking for a swimming pool in my yard or, you know, something like that. No, He gives us the opportunity to ask for what we need. And in the same way, He's not coerced like a spoiled child. You know, it's not, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it now. And God finally says, oh, here. No, God's calling us to come to God with that confidence of a child, like we looked back earlier, that shameless boldness, that out of trusting faith, we come to our Father to give us what we need, what we are calling out for, knowing that He is going to give us our every need. Now, these words, ask, seek, and knock, increase in intensity, The word asking is just a humble, earnest plea. I think about the words of, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, when he says, Hear, the song says, Hear my humble cry. It's a humble cry. It's a cry of necessity. When you move to seeking, that is asking plus action. That it's an active venture to meet a need. And then knocking is even more intense. It's, the word actually means to pound on a door. It's asking, it's acting, and then it's persevering. Look at it this way. Asking would be you get up in the morning and you just simply say, Honey, have you seen my keys? Seeking is actually walking around the house looking for your keys and saying, Are you sure you haven't seen them? And then knocking is a room-by-room, door-by-door search asking anyone and everyone Hey, have you seen my keys? I can't find my keys. That it builds in intensity as we go. But we have to understand we're not trying to twist God's arm to give us what we want. But we're drawing in closer and calling out to the one who can provide, asking him to show us his will and asking him to perform according to his will, because in verse 10, Jesus says, Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Children anticipate the generosity of their parents. More so, children expect the generosity of their grandparents. And if grandparents and parents don't grow weary in providing the needs of their children, then how much more would God, our Heavenly Father, provide our needs? And so we need to persist in our prayers, 
because we can trust God to meet those needs because God is good. And in verses 11 through 15, we see that Jesus reminds his disciples that God is good and he gives good gifts. Jesus uses an argument style that is that he uses many times when he teaches, and that's going from the lesser to the greater. He starts with an earthly father. He says, if an earthly father can do this, and then you see the phrase in the verses, how much more will our heavenly father do this? It's not a direct comparison, but it's an idea that, okay, if this person can, if this person can do this, a human person, how much more or perfectly and exceedingly can God do this? And you see in verse 11 and 12, what father among you, looking at his disciples, if his son asks for a fish, will, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Dad can have a fish. Well, here's a snake, son. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? There's not a dad in their right mind that would give something dangerous to their own child. Fish and eggs are sources of food. Serpents and scorpions are harmful or even deadly. I mean, there's, there's not a father around, even though he's sinful, that would likely get that confused. And then in verse 13, Jesus shows us how exceeding the goodness is of our Heavenly Father. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Other places in Scripture we see that, you know, how much more will God give good gifts? But here, He gives us the superlative gift, the Holy Spirit. So if sinful parents can figure it out and provide for their children, we should expect God to do even more abundantly for His children because God knows how to give good gifts. The psalm writers knew about it. Psalm 8411, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then James and James 1.17, Every good Gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. How good is our God? He gives us good gifts. He meets our needs, and then He meets even our greatest need by giving us the Holy Spirit. The gift that exceeds all the other provisions that God in His plan knew that we needed help constantly, moment by moment. And so he gave us the gift of the presence of the Lord Jesus in us, the living Holy Spirit in us. And in the Spirit, we have all of the riches of God available to us. We have his constant leading and guiding available. We have the power of Jesus, that resurrection power at work in us. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We have the gifts that he gives for service. He gives us the provision of what we need on a daily basis, the food, clothing, shelter, jobs, paychecks, but He also gives us His Holy Spirit because He knew it wasn't going to be enough to meet those earthly needs, that He needed to meet our spiritual needs. And how we should call out, Crayley, call out daily, Oh Lord, fill me afresh and anew with Your Holy Spirit. Moment by moment, we should crave for more and more of God's Spirit working and controlling in our lives. You see, when we approach God, our good Father, Jesus says we should approach Him with this shameless boldness. We should persist in our requests, and we should trust that God knows what we need before we need it, and He knows perfectly how to meet each and every need. See, Jesus gave His disciples a model. But it was up to them to put it into practice. Now let me just tell you this right now. You can study prayer all you want. I encourage you to do that. It, it's a very encouraging study. You can read as many books about prayer as you want. I encourage you to do that. It helps you to gain knowledge and to realize the, the potential and the power of prayer. We can preach about prayer at church. We can teach about prayer in Sunday school. But the only way you're ever going to learn how to pray is simply to pray, to do it. 
to come before God with an open Bible and a willing heart. You're going to see some things on the screen. I think there's six of them or seven of them. And the first one is just to come before God with a willing heart and an open Bible. That's where it starts. And while you're doing that, listen for God's voice. Focus on who He is. Page after page, you're going to find out who God is. A great place to start is the Psalms. You can easily pick out those attributes of God and use those as you pray. And then listen for His voice. Focus on who He is. And then praise God for who He is and what He does. Jesus, I just read that You are the way, the truth, and the life. I thank You that You are the way, the truth, and the life. God, I just read that You are holy and righteous. I thank You that You are holy and righteous because I'm neither one of those and without You I've got nothing. Praise Him for those things and spend time praising Him before you even ask for anything. There's a principle in life that will, I think, hold true in in prayer. The person who starts a conversation directs the conversation. If we start praying with God, gimme, 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 this is what I need, then it's going to be a selfish prayer. If we start with God, this is who you are, I praise you for that. It's going to transform your prayer. It's going to transform your heart. And then after you've spent time praising God, acknowledging who He is, then bring your needs and the needs of others before God and do it with shameless boldness. And what does that mean? That means pray and keep praying until you hear that God has answered those prayers. Ask and seek and knock, knowing God will answer Not that you're trying to beat the door down to get God's attention, but that you're being persistent because you know God will answer. It's an exercise of your faith. Take time to thank God for His goodness and the good gifts that He provides. Prayer should be about thanks and about gratitude. And then the seventh thing is just to repeat this process often. Do it over and over again and see how your prayer life goes. Because God wants us to fellowship with Him. Jesus answered the question, Lord, teach us to pray. He gave us an example and some attributes that we should follow, but it's up to us to put it into practice. John Newton, the old slave ship captain turned pastor, writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, would often write, hymns that would accompany his sermons, that would help his congregation to remember what he preached about. I didn't know that. I learned it from, um, from Samara as she was reading about John Newton. But he wrote this hymn, and the hymn's called, Come My Soul, Thy Suit Prepare. And I want you to listen to just the first two stanzas. Come my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray. Therefore will not say thee nay. Therefore will not say thee nay. And then listen to this. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. None can ever ask too much. Will you pray with me? Lord, we ask you this morning, teach us to pray. Help us grow in our relationship with you by spending time with you. Help us to see who you are, your your goodness, your mercy, your power, your love, your willingness. Help us to come for you with childlike faith, with a shameless boldness. God, as we ask, as we seek, as we knock, remind us that we will receive what we ask for, we'll find what we need, and doors will be open before us. Help us to desire more of you and less of ourselves. And, oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would fill us with your presence by the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, we ask you. 
teach us to pray. Amen. Maybe you find yourself like me and, and you say, okay, if, if I were to give myself a, a grade, a 1 to 10 of what my prayer life is like, um, it would be lower than I would hope for, but I'm hoping to make it higher than what it is. Um, and so just take a second and think about that. If you were to have to just you know, rate your, your prayer life right now on an on honest before your Self and God on a scale of one to ten, you know, where would you put that? You know, would you say, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of a five, I'm at a two, I'm at a one, maybe I'm at a zero, um, or I would say, no, you know, I'm a six or a seven, but I want to grow deeper. Think about that just for a moment. And then think about what progress you can make by simply just praying and spending time with God. His Word, fellowshipping with Him together will do more to grow you in in areas of your life than anything else. Um, it'll bring a richness to your study when you read God's Word. It will transform your relationships. It'll transform every aspect of your life. He loves you and He wants to spend time with you. And He wants to teach us to grow deeper in prayer. Or maybe it's just a time this morning that you just need to clear the air, that there's something that you just need to to lay down before the Lord and say, God, I've got to get this off my chest. I've got to confess and repent this because, God, I'm, I'm not hearing your voice like I, I used to or, or like I want to, and I want to have clear communication. We should do that consistently, but maybe there's something this morning or maybe there's an area of, of unforgiveness or bitterness that you need to, to lay down before the Lord so that you can fellowship and commune with Him. Whatever it is, or maybe it's just trusting for the first time. You're thinking, well, I don't even have a heavenly father. If you were to ask me, what does that mean to have a relationship with Jesus? I, I don't know. I've, maybe I've, I've been in a church. I've got, you know, I've got good parents or I've had a good background. or I just think I've always been a Christian. But you've never really made that personal commitment to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today can be that day. It's simply admitting your sinfulness and placing your trust in the one who forgives your sins and gives you eternal life. I encourage you to join in standing um, this morning. We're going to sing um, together. As we sing, um, I trust you would respond. So let's stand. along with us and if you're online thanks for hanging with us through the technology problems and we think we got the kinks worked out i hope that today sometime during the day you'll be able to enjoy the warmth of the of the sunshine um, all the snow is pretty much melted and it looks like it's going to be a beautiful day and i just hope you have opportunity to enjoy the the blessedness of our our wonderful creation thank you for for being here your your presence is an encouragement and i just pray the lord 
would bless you next Sunday morning will be our joint service with our brothers and sisters from the Congolese congregation. And um, we have um, a special guest. Um, Scott Whitson will be here. Um, and he is excited to, to bring, um, bring the word to both us and bring the word to the Congolese. And I'm not sure if he's going to, to preach in English and Swahili or use a translator, but either way, it will be a blessing. So I'm sure you'll want to be a part of that. Take opportunity this week to reach out and encourage folks. Um, let them know that we miss them and that we got things pretty safe. So if they want to come and hang out with us at church on Sunday mornings, um, we'd love to see them. But the Lord bless you. We're going to sing a song together. And when we begin to sing, you're free to go. So thank you.